This episode of Full Armor Radio is brought to you by CR101 Radio Network. CR101 Radio Network is a Christian reconstruction internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. You can learn more at CR101Radio.com. We're also brought to you by GCS Apprenticeship Program, which is dedicated to training the next generation of Christian teachers so they can own and operate successful and profitable Christian schools. You can learn more at gcsapprenticeship.com. And now to the show. Hello and welcome to Full Armor Radio. I'm your host, John O'Rourke. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, In this episode, I wanted to uh, raise the question of whether or not Christians should engage the civil magistrate or the civil government rulers or leaders with the Bible? Should we use the Bible when addressing civil rulers? So um, I wanted to play here before I get into uh, the biblical basis for my answer to the question. I wanted to play here uh, a video that um, a friend of mine put together for me um, when we spoke at city council in Bristol, Tennessee to talk to the city council about making um, abortion illegal at the city level, basically asking them to shut down the one existing abortion clinic that we have. Um, That's a concept called Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. Hasn't been done consistently yet in the U.S., um, but that's something that we are <coughs> that we went and talked to them about and wanted them to do. And we did it as Christians. So I wanted to, I'll go ahead and play the video here in a second. It's just a couple minutes long. And then I'm going to go in and answer some objections um, that you'll hear um, to, you know, engaging the civil magistrate with the Bible. I'm going to answer those objections and give a biblical basis as to why we should use the Bible when talking to the civil government. So let me go ahead and play this video and then I'll make some uh, some biblical case for it afterwards. So here we go. My name is John O'Rourke with Full Armor Ministries. I'm a missionary evangelist in the Tri-Cities area in East Tennessee. I'm here at Bristol, Tennessee's city council meeting. We're here because part of the ministry that I'm working on is to ultimately end abortion within Bristol, Tennessee. We have one abortion clinic in the greater area of the Tri-Cities, and it's in Bristol, Tennessee. And we want to go before the city council and speak about them about making a city ordinance, making Bristol, Tennessee a sanctuary city for the unborn. And that's why myself and a number of other Christian men were here today to speak to city council. I'd like to draw your attention to the modern day Holocaust that is occurring within our city limits. Tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., tiny, innocent, and defenseless pre-born human beings will be murdered. But some sad news is that uh, some citizens here of the city, their uh, welfare is not being maintained, and that is of the pre-born. And the Bristol Regional Women's Center, located on 2901 West State Street in Bristol, is the only abortion clinic in our area. And in terms of what they describe what they do on their own website, is they do uh, abortions for women, women via vacuum aspiration, um, which is... Excuse me, can I ask you to talk to city business? Yes, I am. What I'm speaking with, speaking on, is the injustice that is going on within the city limits, and I am asking you to um, form a city ordinance um, by making Bristol, Tennessee a sanctuary city for the unborn. Part of my ministry is to bring the gospel, the word of God, to bear on the local civil magistrates and tell them 
what God requires of them, which is to do their duty and protect the unborn. I'm respectfully calling upon you today as God's ministers ordained to carry out his wrath on evildoers, to interpose yourselves between an unelected court and the children that are being murdered here in Bristol. That you would abolish abortion now, immediately, in the city of Bristol. I'm here to ask you to end this murder that takes place here in Bristol, Tennessee by making Bristol, Tennessee a sanctuary city for the unborn. We'll continue to have further meetings with them and to um, help the local civil magistrate understand what they can do, even under U.S. law, and what they are supposed to do by God's law to defend the rights of the unborn and protect them from being murdered. Um, so I'd like to, in the upcoming time, in the upcoming weeks, to speak with you all about the opportunity to make a city ordinance regarding making Bristol, Tennessee a sanctuary city for the unborn, to outlaw the murder of the unborn children in the city. Thank you. All right, so that kind of gives you the idea of, of um, one particular night when we went to city council. Um, there's another video up on, on the YouTube channel, Full Armor Ministries YouTube channel, that has me speaking the whole uh, the whole speech that I gave. Um, so as you can see, you know, we had the, the strategy and intention of being um, Christians going and talking to the civil magistrate as Christians, you know, not ashamed of the biblical worldview. Um, certainly it's in the forefront of what we were doing. Um, you know, we are using, uh, we're calling upon them to do what God says them to do, um, according to the Bible. Um, one of us even alluded to, to Romans 13, that they are ministers of God to carry out his wrath against the wrongdoer. So all that being said, <clears throat> you know, there are some who will um, bring objections to the way we did it. They may say, well, it's good that you're talking to civil magistrate, <laughs> and we have rights as Christians to do so. Um, it's even a good thing, but some have said that we shouldn't have gone about it the way that we that we did, um, namely because we were coming across um, just using using the Bible too much, and and the objection um, that you might hear, whether it's talking to your city council or whether it's talking to any civil magistrate, is people will say, well, that just sounds like you are trying to impose a theocracy upon you know your state or your nation or your city or your county or whoever you're talking to sounds like you're trying to impose a, a theocracy and the problem with with such reasoning is that every nation every state and county and city is already a theocracy no matter what um it's not a christian theocracy necessarily but it is a theocracy of some sort nonetheless. And you may be thinking to yourself, wait a second, no, that's not, that's not true. Well, just, let's just explore it a little bit. <clears throat> you know, what, what, is, what makes up a theocracy is that you have some sort of ultimate authority, some sort of God that is your ultimate authority, and that's, that is the thing by which you rule and make your laws. <clears throat> so... Certainly, America and the states in, within America and the cities and stuff—they're not—they're not Christian, but they have some sort of God. They have some sort of ultimate authority, and that's the thing that we are calling upon the local civil magistrates to do: is to change their religion. We're calling upon them to repent and trust in Christ and be Christians, and then to do justice as Christians, right? Because Christians are meant to do justice. That's how we express gratitude to God and love for God. Not to earn salvation, but as a result of being born again, <clears throat> Christians want to do what's right. And if you're a civil magistrate and you're a Christian, 
you ought to do what God says in his law. So we are, we're calling upon them to be Christians, and not only that, but to, to do justice as Christians using God's law. To change from what basically what their worldview is and what their religion is, is that whatever, in this case, whatever the Supreme Court says goes. The Supreme Court is the ultimate authority to them. It's the infallible and ultimate authority because they think that no matter what, the Supreme Court on, on Roe versus Wade must be upheld, even if they disagree with it. It doesn't really matter. It's they, the Supreme Court has the final word. It's their ultimate authority. In other words, the Supreme Court is their god. So who are they worshiping? They're, they're man worshipers. The religion of Bristol City Council is man worshipers, fearers of men. That's what they are. So they have a theocracy. It's just that their god is men. Their god is the Supreme Court or higher government officials, maybe in the federal government or the state government. But they already are a theocracy nonetheless. Everybody is religious. Everybody is a worshiper. The difference is they either worship God or they worship a false god. And that's clear and that's taught um, in scripture, uh, especially, you know, for example, Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 1, you have Paul talking about idolatry. And it's um, in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23, I'll read that. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, so they worshipped the, the creature rather than the creator, which is what it says in the next few verses, verse 24 and 25. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So, city council, being human beings and being idolaters as all of us naturally are, they have chosen to make their God human beings. They're worshipping a creature. They're worshipping man. They're worshipping government officials that are higher up than them. That's who, they, that's who they think is their ultimate authority. And even the, the Supreme Court, they really do believe, is infallible. Because they don't think the Supreme Court can be wrong or can be resisted. It's just whatever they say goes. So th they have a religion. It's just their religion is idolatry. So the question is not, does the city, sh should the city uh, be a theocracy? It already is that. The question is, <clears throat> should it be an idolatrous theocracy or a Christian theocracy? An idolatrous theocracy or a Christocracy, one that honors Jesus as Lord of Lords and Kings of and King of Kings, which of course is one of his titles. Jesus is Lord of Lords and Kings of Kings. They are meant to honor him as as the Lord by doing what he says, right? If you read Psalm chapter two, I won't read the whole thing probably, but Psalm chapter two is directed towards um, to kings. It says in verse 1, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, 
Let us burst their bonds apart from us and cast their cords from us. So you have these civil magistrates who are saying, let's not listen to God. Let's not listen to Jesus. Let's cast off the bounds that he has put on us. And God holds them in derision and laughs, it says. But then there's a warning at the end of the psalm. It says verse in verse t- um, 10, now, therefore, O kings, be wise, and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So you have there, civil magistrates are under the authority of God, under the authority of Jesus, and they have to do what he says, or else he's going to judge them. Right? <coughs> so, that's really, really important. So, if you're going to be a civil ruler... Who's your God going to be? Is it going to be an idol or is it going to be the true God, Jesus Christ? So those are those are the issues here. So if somebody's going to raise the objection, well, if you, if you go in there as Christians and telling people to obey God, the Trinity, the true Christian God, and do what the Bible says, isn't that a theocracy that you're trying to impose on them? Well, the answer is um, yes, but it's, well, not impose. Uh, that's kind of not the right word. A theocracy that we're calling them to basically is we're calling them to worship God and obey him, to trust in Jesus and then obey him out of gratitude. Um, so we're not imposing it, but we are we are calling upon them to repent and to trust in Jesus and then to do justice. Um, but the question is, you know, not... Like I said, not like are we asking them to be a theocracy when they aren't one. They already are a theocracy. We're just asking them to repent of their idolatrous theocracy and instead put their put their trust in Jesus and honor him as the Lord over them and do what he says as a civil magistrate. Um, as I just pointed out in Psalm 2, God does hold civil magistrates accountable for what they do. Um, Psalm 110 also says that. Psalm 82 is also directed towards civil magistrates um, doing injustice. God says, you better quit. Um, so we're just doing what God says to them. We're just letting them know that God says that. And we're saying, here's an opportunity for you to do justice is to save the lives of babies being murdered in your city. So saying that they should be a Christocracy is, is no sin. It's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's biblical. Um, it's just saying that you need to stop being an idolatrous theocracy and be a Christian theocracy. All right. So that's one objection that someone might make is say, you know, you're, it sounds like you're trying to make them, you know, be be a theocracy. Uh, but the, the next one would be people have said, well, they would they would disagree that that nations really should be Christian theocracies and use the Bible. So they would say, well, instead of using the Bible as the basis for your argumentation, you should just use natural law. Instead of using the Bible, you should use natural law. It's kind of that creational or natural um, thing. And, um, you know, basically saying, don't use the Bible, use natural law. Appeal to their conscience, but don't use the Bible, that sort of thing. So what is, what is natural law? Well, natural law is what the Bible calls the work of the law written on the heart. So, for example, in Romans 2, <coughs> verse 14 through 16, we have a um, natural law taught here. Romans 2, 14, it says, For when Gentiles who did not have the law, that means they don't have the written law like the Jews did. So Gentiles who did not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Again, they don't have the written law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, 
God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So there's natural laws, the work of the law written on man's heart so that they know, even if they don't have a Bible, they don't have the Ten Commandments in front of them that they could read, they still know right from wrong. They still know, um, to some degree, right from wrong. So natural law is God's law written on men's hearts, even if they don't have the written law. They don't, they don't have a Bible. So people who have never heard of the Bible, they still have a sense of right from wrong. They still have ethics because the work of God's law has been written on their heart. But you'll notice as you look at this text, their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. So when it comes to natural law, people are able to um, pervert it. They're able to skew it. Um, people don't have naturally a perfect understanding of God's law. The question is, well, well why not? Well, Romans chapter 1 tells us, it's in that uh, verse I read earlier. It says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They know God, but they suppress the truth. They know what's right, they know what's wrong, but in their sin, they suppress the truth. So here's the question. Is there, is there some sort of flaw with natural law? Is there a flaw in natural law? No. Um, natural law is um, is God's law. There's no flaw in it. The problem is with us. It's with the sinner. Um, the sinner suppresses the truth in sin and therefore doesn't have an understanding of God's law. So I want to pull up here a thing that I wrote a couple years ago. I've been very, very slowly, and I mean slowly, working on a book that kind of deals with some of these issues um, regarding civil government from a biblical perspective. And I wrote a chapter, well, I wrote an outline for a chapter here on uh, natural law. So I'm going to pull that up here. This is even written on a notebook, as you can see. And I'm just going to go through these points and then pull up some of the Bible verses and in support of them that I've written. Um, some of these points, as I noted here, some of the language is borrowed from the Westminster Confession or from some other works, and I, I cite those here. Uh, but let's let's go through this. This is This is stuff on natural law. So point number one, every man descending from Adam by ordinary generation has, by his fall into sin, been wholly defiled in all parts and faculties of soul and body. Okay, that is simply the Christian teaching of total depravity. Um, we are all sinful. We're, there's, there's no little bit of goodness or righteousness left in us somewhere, like a little island of righteousness. No, all of our parts, all of who we are, is corrupted by sin. We're evil. So there's not a little bit of goodness that we could muster up. No, it's all we're all evil in all parts and faculties of soul and body. We are evil. Okay? So that's pretty basic. Um, that's really important, though, because when Paul talks about that in various places, like in Romans 1, he says that uh, we are futile in our thinking, futile in our minds because of sin. Okay, point two. It pleased God to reveal his moral law to men through nature by writing the work of the law upon their hearts. This is a concept commonly called natural law. However, man's intellect has been so much impaired and corrupted by the fall that he is not fully able to discover what the law revealed by nature directs in every sphere and circumstance of life. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So what's the point there? God has revealed his moral law on the hearts of all men. Okay, the work of the law is written on all men, whether they have... Um, you know, whether they have the written law or not, every man, who's made, since they're made in the image of God, has the work of the law written on their heart. 
Um, but because of sin, man's intellect has been so much impaired that he's unable to really understand with perfect clarity what the law written on his heart or natural law requires of him. And this is the main point. Natural law is unclear to us because we suppress the truth in our sin. Okay, Natural law is unclear to us because we suppress the truth in our sin. We're not able to understand it fully. So I have then the second part, part here. It says, Nevertheless, some faint traces of God's moral law remains in the hearts of men insofar as they are left without excuse before the judgment seat of God. So what's the purpose of natural law? Right? The main purpose of natural law is so that God can judge people, even if they don't have a Bible. Remember, that's what it says in Romans um, in 2, 15 and 16. It says, you know, the work of the law is written on their heart, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So it's so that nobody has any excuse. They can't say, well, God, I didn't know that was a sin. He was saying, no, I, I wrote the law on your heart. The work of the law is written on your heart. And it's your fault because in your sin, you decided to suppress the truth. You suppress the truth in your sin. Um, that's on you. There's no excuse that we can make before God on Judgment Day. So what's this about our intellect being so impaired that we can't understand it fully? Well, let's go ahead and support that. So um, Romans 2, Romans 2, 14 and 15, like I said, um, does actually support that because it says that their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on Judgment Day. So what's that getting at? Is that you have your natural law in mind, but since you're sinful, you pervert it. So in, by natural law, a person can say when they are sinning, well, you know what? I had a right to do that. It's not really sin. So they justify themselves. They'll excuse themselves. Or their conscience will accuse them and say, yeah, I know that was wrong. Ugh. And even in some cases, people will think they did something wrong, even though they didn't actually do something wrong. You see, we're not really fully able to infallibly know right from wrong just from natural law. We need the Bible. There's a reason that God wrote down his law in the Bible. And this is really important. So because of our sin, we have conflicting thoughts that will either accuse us or excuse us when we sin. That's because we're sinful. We skew natural law. We mess it up. Again, the problem's not with natural law because it's just God's law. And he didn't mess up when he wrote it on our hearts. It's us. We suppress the truth in our sin. So the problem's in us, not in the in the law, the natural law itself. Here's another one. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, man will think, you know what? This seems good. This seems like the right way. And he gets that from, from natural law. But because of his sin, he perverts natural law, and he actually goes the wrong way. He goes the way that, that leads to death. So we have that, you know, going on in all sorts of issues. I mean, with the abortion issue, right? People think they're doing the right thing when they murder their child. Well, they get that from natural law. Not because natural law says you can murder. It's because they're so sinful that they pervert it and excuse themselves and say, you know what? Nah, it's okay. It's okay that I murdered my child. People's interpretation of natural law through the filter of their sin lets them say that you can you can take children and if they're a boy you can mutilate them to try to make them into a girl. Natural law doesn't they, they suppress the truth um, by their sins so much they don't even know what a boy or a girl is anymore. Something so basic to human life. Natural law is um, when we when we in our understanding of natural law because of our sin it becomes so subjective. 
Because you could have this this debate going on. If I say, well, natural law tells me that abortion is murder. And somebody else says, well, natural law tells me that abortion is a good thing and it's okay. How can we settle the dispute? How could we possibly settle the dispute? Because I'll just say, well, I think natural law says this. And they'll say, well, I think natural law says that. Well, what's the real answer? How could I possibly really um, settle that dispute? Well, I'd go to the Bible. How can I go to the Bible on, on these disputes? Well, here's why. Natural law and the law revealed in Scripture are exactly the same law. This is really important. They're both the moral law of God. So the Ten Commandments, which are a summary of the moral law, are the exact same thing that God reveals on the hearts of men in natural law. What's the difference, though? Natural law, because of our sin, is unclear to us, right? But the law revealed clearly in Scripture is able to be read, and therefore we can understand it. We can settle disputes and say, well, if somebody says, well, I think it's okay to steal, well, how can we settle that dispute? We'll go to the Bible and say, oh, look, it says you shouldn't steal, right? So that I come across this all the time. People, people will excuse themselves and say, well, I don't think it's wrong to lust after a woman that's not my wife. See, that's their sinful suppression of, the, the, of natural law. We go to the Bible and look at Matthew, Matthew 5, and Jesus says it's wrong. It's, it's adultery in your heart if you lust after a woman who's not your wife. Right? See, they've, they've skewed and perverted natural law, but we can settle that dispute by going to biblical law. So hear that again. Natural law, law work of the law written on your heart, and then biblical law revealed in Scripture are the same exact standard. Here's the difference. They're revealed in different ways. Let's look at the, the next little point I wrote in here. All men, regenerate and unregenerate alike, have by the fall been impaired and corrupted in their minds, so much that the law revealed through nature is insufficient to instruct man with clarity regarding his duty before God. He's not going to be able to know with perfection and with clarity, how should I live my life? Even as a Christian, have you ever read the Bible, been reading through the Bible, and you come across something and say, wow, I didn't know that was a sin. I have. I have. So the Bible's necessary, is what I'm saying. The Bible's really important to understand the law of God. Um, next part. Consequently, God, out of his mere good pleasure, revealed his law system in the written word. Therefore, the law of God, as revealed in the Holy Scripture, is the only source of revelation by which man can learn with objective clarity what duty God requires of him in all spheres and circumstances of life. You see, what by natural law, we're not going to get a perfectly clear understanding, but if we go and study God's word and look at the law, we can. We can look and say, here's what God requires of us. It's a much clearer and objective standard that we are unable to twist um, if we're going to be, you know, looking at the text, you can look at, you can try, but ultimately you're going to look at the text and say, well, it says you shall not murder or it says you shall not steal. By natural law, maybe you thought, well, it's okay to steal, you know, and then God says, no, you can't. So we can go and settle disputes that way. It's a very clear revelation of God's law. God didn't have to do it that way, but he decided to give the law in the written word. Um, before God gave it through Moses, there was just natural law. Um, by and large, I think God probably revealed special things to some of His people. We don't we don't know that, but it seems like it based upon some some deductions um, from Genesis. But natural law was always in play. K 
Cain knew it was wrong to murder Abel, right? They knew that murder was wrong. He just did it anyway because he was a sinner. Um, so natural law and biblical revealed law are the same standard. They're just revealed in different ways. One's written on the hearts of men, but then men perverts it by his sin and can't see it clearly. He comes futile and darkened in his mind, right? Romans 1 says that. Then there's scriptural revealed law, which is, you know, clearer, and we can just go to it and settle disputes that way. A theologian, William Symington, put it this way about natural law versus revealed law. He says, why would you black out the sun in favor of a torch? See what he means? The Bible is the sun. It's bright, it's clear, and it illuminates everything. But a torch just illuminates a little bit. You have a little bit of, of sight from it, but it doesn't really bright, bright, you know, light up the whole room. That's what natural law versus revealed law is like. In the Bible, it's very clear. It's a very clear illumination. We can go to it and figure it out pretty easily. Versus natural law, because of our sin, it's dark. We're darkened in our understanding and become futile in our thinking. Become idolaters in many ways. So let's look at some more, some more verses that show that... Um, that natural law um, is insufficient to be clear to us. So here's, here's a text from Job 28. It's about this, really, it's about the sufficiency of God revealing wisdom. Um, 28 verse 12, Job 28, 12. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it's not found in the land of the living. Okay. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth, and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, and he saw it and declared it, he established it and searched it out, and he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So how are we to get this understanding? This, this, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And, the, and turning away from evil is understanding. It's not found in us. It's not found in nature. God has to reveal it. And he reveals it in scripture. <clears throat> he reveals it in the Bible. The Bible is indeed necessary. Okay, we need the Bible, not only to learn the gospel, which we need it there, but also to have a clear understanding of the law. The law is revealed in nature, but because of our sin, it's unclear to us. So he reveals it clearly in scripture as well. Second Timothy three fourteen to 17 also tells us this. Paul's talking to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, from whom you learned it. And from your childhood, how you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> now, here's the thing about scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. 
So scripture, is it necessary? Oh, you bet it is. It's absolutely necessary. It's necessary for everything. It's, it's given to us that we can be competent and equipped for every good work. How do I go talk to a civil magistrate? That's a good work. Well, the scripture is going to make me competent in that if I study it, right? So I'm not going to rely on natural law and appealing to a civil magistrate's conscience because they're sinners, just like me, and they can pervert natural law. What they need to hear is objective and clear biblical revealed law. That's very, very important. They need to see and hear um, you know, exactly what they're meant to do. So you can go and, and quote to them from God, from his word, and say, here's what you need to do. You need to carry out justice against the wrongdoer, against the murderer in this case, the one who kills little babies. Um, <coughs> right, so that is kind of a thing on natural law. So somebody says, don't use the Bible, use natural law. Um, just appeal to their conscience. Um, they'll even go and maybe say, appeal to, appeal to them as Americans and American ideas. Well, American ideas are always, always changing. Um, it depends on people's, you know, um, what they consider to be American ideas. Um, it's a progressing, shifting sand, and it's really not an objective standard. And it's also, this is very important, it's also not an ultimate authority. Because American ideas ultimately are a lot of man's ideas. They don't come directly from God. Um, I'm going to appeal to them to be much more than just Americans. Um, that's not the thing that's going to honor God. I'm going to appeal to them to be Christians and to do what's right before God. That's what God calls me to do. Um, is to call on them to repent and, and believe the gospel, and then to call them to do what's right as civil magistrates. Because God directly addresses them in the Bible, they probably don't know that. So I'm going to be the messenger that carries God's word to them, the Bible to them. <coughs> so, what else do we have in support of using the Bible in front of civil magistrates? Well, you have this psalm. This one's really a, a really good one, very clear. Psalm 119, verse 46 and 47. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I delight in your commandments, which I love. So you're going to go in there and speak of God's testimonies, God's commandments that you love. You're going to use the Bible. Right? Of course you are. You're not going to do this thing where you're trying to be neutral and say, well, I'm not asking you to be Christians and to do this as Christians. I certainly want, wouldn't want you to be a, a Christian theocracy. See, that's not the attitude of the Bible. It is, yeah, everybody needs to bow the knee to Jesus and honor him as their Lord. Especially kings are even called out in, in like Psalm 2 saying, you better kiss the son. Let's he be angry and he, and he smash you like he smash you like a pot. There are judgments against against civil magistrates who don't honor Christ, don't love Christ, and obey Him. So we need to, you know, really take that seriously. Um, natural law again is insufficient to instruct us how we can uh, know right from wrong with clarity because of our sin. Revealed law, going to the Bible, um, is enough. Um, it's very clear. It's sufficient, um, like we just saw. It's it's useful for teaching, you know, reproving, correcting, and for training in righteousness so that we can be competent, fully equipped for every good work. That is what we need. The Bible is indeed a necessary thing. Um, it's not just something that God threw in there for kicks. It's something that we need because he knew they're not going to know right from wrong because of their sin. They, they're idolaters. They become futile in their thinking. Um, they're really not going to be able to understand it. And I want to, it's really, it's really a kindness on his part because the law, you know, points us, shows us our need for, for Christ. 
Um, but like I said, Romans 1, you know, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, right? That's what we have become as, as sinners. Um, we are futile in our thinking because of our sin. Ephesians 4 says about unbelievers, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, because of your hardness of heart as a sinner, you're darkened in your understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their, because of their sin. As the ignorance is due to the hardness of their heart, due to their sin. They suppress the truth in that way. They suppress even what God's law says, like I said. So to sum it up, natural law. There's nothing wrong with natural law. Natural law's purpose is to make sure everybody is um, able to be judged by God. So nobody can make an excuse. Natural law is not, God doesn't mess up natural law. We do. When he writes it on our hearts, you know, it's there. But because we are sinners, we suppress that truth. We pervert it. We become darkened in our understanding, futile in our thinking. We pervert it by our sin. And therefore, we are unable to understand it with clarity. And we can see that by looking around. People will justify their actions through, through perverting natural law. They'll say it's okay to you know, be transgender. It's okay to change your gender. It's okay to you know, murder your baby. It's okay to be in all sorts of sexual sins from fornication, adultery, homosexuality, so on and so forth. All of that is because of people's perversion of natural law. So if you're going to talk to a civil magistrate and say, hey, you shouldn't allow murder. They say, well, I don't think this is a murder. I don't think it's a big deal. It's just a woman's right to choose. That's natural law. That's that's that should be more clear. That's their perversion of natural law because of their sin. That's not going to cut it. We need to use the Bible and we can say with clarity, this is what God says. and This is what he requires of you. So listen to God's word. So we use the Bible because God tells us to, and because and because natural law is insufficient because of our sin. Right? Okay. So with that, that's kind of the main point. What's the, what was the question? Should we use the Bible when we speak to civil magistrates? The answer is absolutely yes. Otherwise, it's kind of not worth your time. Um, we're going to call upon them as Christians to do what's right according to the Bible, according to God's word. Not appeal to some sort of, not appeal to their conscience only. Um, in natural law, we need to appeal to a fixed and objective standard, not to how we interpret natural law. Um, our interpretations of natural law as sinners is atrocious. But if you go to the Bible, we can see very clearly, you know, what God requires of us, um, which, of course, is very basic. It's sola scriptura and the sufficiency of scripture. Um, it's the only rule of faith in life, the Bible is, and we got to stick to it. So thank you so much for, for listening or for watching. Um, if you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, um, please do. Please subscribe so you don't miss any new new videos. Um, also, on whatever podcast catcher that you use, um, we're on all of them. Go ahead and subscribe there too so you don't miss any of the podcasts in the audio form. There's also evangelism um, audio conversations that are on there as well. Um, and if you have any questions, you can contact us or any comments. Um, you can go to fullarmorministries.org and, and go to the contact us part of the page. Or you can go to um, cr101radio.com and go to Full Armor Radio's part and there should be a contact form on that page as well. So again, thank you so much for watching or listening. I hope um, this was helpful to you and God bless you. Thank you.